Hello there, everybody. Welcome to the Dharma Toolkit Daily with me, Chandra Dasa. On my own today, Sadaisi having a well-deserved day off from the podcast. She's busy working away on other stuff. And I'll be here with a couple of delightful guests who I'll introduce you to in just one minute. It's very good to be with you and to start to see your comments coming in about the podcast. Great to know people around the world are connecting with at least one community, one version of community amongst many, I'm sure, in your life, now that most of us are spending our days on Zoom and Skype and things like that, connecting with friends and family. It's been really great to connect with other Dharma practitioners in our community and beyond around the world. This is episode five. I've been saying day five, day four, etc. before. That's not quite accurate, of course, because many people are on a different set of time skills with this, depending on where they live. But this is episode five of our podcast, just responding to the crisis that we're all in together. So I hope you'll enjoy staying with us for today's conversation, which in a way follows on from yesterday's around fear. It was very good talking with our guests, just to get a really realistic sense yesterday of what it is is scary about the current situation that we find ourselves in. Quite a realistic down-to-earth conversation, just owning, being with our fear together. I found it quite moving and also very inspiring just what emerged, how people work with their Dharma practice, their perspective on life, how they call on their friends and on sources of inspiration to help them work with it. And today's conversation is going to follow on a little bit from that. But before we get there, I want to introduce you to our lovely guests, two friends of long standing. I'm tempted to call them old friends, but they're both quite fresh faced still, especially when they've got the zoom effect on, you know, that smooths out one's wrinkles. (laughs) They're both nodding vociferously on mute. Uh, So I'd like to welcome first from West London, my friend Yasha Bodhi. Oh, I just noticed that you don't have that feature, Dick. (laughs) <laughs> your computer. Do you know, I actually I actually did turn it off because I noticed it one day and thought, no, I don't want this. People are going to see me with my grey stubble. But you and... look very nice anyway. And so, yes, I'm, I'm speaking to you from, well, northwest London, actually, West Hampstead uh, here in London. Yeah. And uh, from across the water in Dublin's Fair City, the indomitable Vatrashura. Hello, Chandradasa. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all well. Yeah, here from Dublin. And Chandradasa, I have to say, I hadn't noticed the filter was off because I thought you looked smashing. <laughs> well, I turned it on a lovely Brad Pitt, you know, it's fantastic. So, yes, we thought we'd follow up yesterday's conversation about fear with one of the points that came out of that conversation, which was, of course, what do you do with the many, many sources of input, news, frankly alarming content that comes our way 24-7 on the internet? When we were setting up the Dharma Toolkit space for the duration of this corona crisis, whatever you want to call it, we were quite aware that the internet doesn't always help and that just being plugged in all the time is definitely at least a double-edged sword. Maybe it's a sword that exists in different dimensions with many, many edges to it. But where the internet doesn't help or sometimes doesn't help at least is just we're exposed immediately via fantastic bits of engineering and apps etc to all sorts of views news and things that are likely to trigger an emotional response in us which we haven't necessarily considered when we decide to look there's a very old buddhist teaching usually referred to as guarding the gates of the senses so we thought we'd do an episode on what guarding the gates looks like again in quite a realistic way we're not very interested here 
in hitting anybody over the head with Buddhist practice and trying to pretend that it's easy to navigate all this. But I can't think of two better people to talk to about the vagaries of surfing all of that than Yashabodhi and Vajrasura. So yes, first of all, before we go into all that, uh, how are you both doing? What's it like in your version of the corona world? Well, yes, I'm in London, uh, as you just heard. And I was saying before we started recording how fast you hear somebody, somebody you know far away uh, has the virus, and then you hear about somebody who knows somebody who has the virus. And now it's really in the stage that, well, people I know have the virus and the possibility of myself getting the virus are also higher. And um, so I'm here in West London with Kamala Sheila, Northwest London. We're in uh, West Hampstead. And, uh, well, we've basically been self-isolating for the last 10 days. It's also because Kamala Sheila is in higher risk health category. Yeah, so it's uh, a bit like, I, I compare it like, maybe it's like a golden cage in a particular way. It's it's We've got everything we need here. We just need to sort out our shopping and uh, we've got a garden and so the conditions are fantastic but around us uh, yeah I just read in the Guardian this morning that now the hospitals here are at a stage what they call a tsunami of uh, people being admitted uh, with coronavirus uh, related problems yeah so it's, it's a scary situation to be in it's very serious. And Yashabodi I know some of your family at least are back home in Holland How's that all going? Are you in touch with your friends and family from home? Yes, I am. It's awful. It's absolutely awful. Sorry to say that word because yeah, one of my sisters lives in Norway. She's going to visit the Netherlands, but obviously that's not possible. I can't visit the Netherlands. That's just out of the question. But I also just fear for they're very vulnerable and I don't know who's going in and out and the extent to which they're understanding the dangers. My father has been diagnosed with dementia. My mother has some physical health problems. And yes, I'm, I'm really worried about her, uh, though I do have a sister who lives nearby. So yes, I feel quite powerless. I felt like a tigress last week here, just wanting to defend Kamala Sheila from these people who are brushing against him and uh, wanting to defend my parents from people. You know, I just want to stand in front of the door and just, yeah, just just tell them all to just go away and protect my, uh, my loved ones. Yeah, so that's how I feel. And how about you, Vajrashura? How's it going in Dublin? I know that you guys are just sort of like the UK entering kind of period of tighter lockdown, shutdown, whatever we call it. Yeah, so um, I got back from the UK about 10 days ago and almost immediately uh, we closed the centre down and everyone who can be has been isolating in their homes. Uh, I'm here in my community. There's five of us here. So in a way, it makes sense that we isolate together rather than from each other. So at least I've had company. But there's lots of people who I've been chatting to online who've been on their own, you know, trying to see what comes. In a way, it feels like the calm before the storm here because it hasn't quite fully hit yet. I'm sitting here wondering, hmm, how bad is this going to get? You know, is it going to be Italy, Spain proportions or is it going to be more like Singapore where they seem to have more under control? And even though it's changing by the hour, it just feels like we're still in that initial waiting game. Luckily, in terms of family, my mum lives down the countryside and uh, she has family around her and she's been able to isolate herself in her house. So I'm not overly concerned yet. For her, I think I think she'll be much better than the majority of people in bigger cities. But um, yeah, it's just at the moment, it's a bit of a waiting game and really unknown what way it's going to go here. I'm kind of struck by that thing, just even in saying casually, the way you were speaking there, Vajrashuda, that, you know, it changes by the hour. And that's certainly one of the things I've heard people observe is that we're in a phase of a crisis where it literally does change every hour. Like, it's not just neurosis to check the news every hour. There might actually be something major. 
I noticed that Isaac, he was saying yesterday that she's taken a kind of personal precept of only checking the news twice a day on the grounds that if something really major does happen, she's very likely to hear about it at one end of the day or the other, which made sense when I heard it. I'm also aware that there is just this quite compelling human story that's happening. And yeah, it's not just a product of anxiety to want to know what's happening more regularly. How are you managing the news, as it were, and what function does it provide for you? Well, just on that note, just saying that um, I had two Zoom training days the other day on Friday and Saturday. I was caught up the whole day in Zoom. And uh, as a consequence, um, in my breaks, I just went for my break and I didn't check any news. And I just felt such a relief at the end of that day that I hadn't checked the news so I really learned something from it already. I knew it, obviously, from my, my own practice. But yes, to not turn to the news too often, because that's quite seductive. But I also wanted to say something about, I had a bit of a the case of the fear this morning, actually, which is, I think, also based on now getting texts from friends saying, you know, talking about symptoms, etc. And um, I read a, a piece by Ben Okri in The Guardian today, which I thought was really interesting because he's talking about fear and reading about symptoms, etc. So there's a part of you that then starts to empathize somehow because you, you know there's people out there, they've got these symptoms. And through that very act of empathy, you might even experience sensations in your own body that are similar to the symptoms that you've read about. Just because you're empathizing with them, you're empathizing with the people you're reading about. And as a consequence, you know, you might just start to feel fearful. And when you're feeling fearful, you might feel there's a bit of a contraction on the chest. Oh, I read this thing about your chest getting heavier. And uh, your, your throat might feel constricted because, well, that's what it does. When you're fearful, it sort of goes through your throat. And then you start to think, oh, my God, maybe something is going to happen with my throat and I'm going to get the virus and then you're going to get into this rumination kind of thing. So it was interesting. So he's writing about that in Okri this morning. And uh, yes, it's worth reading, I think. That's good. We'll link to that in the show notes so that people can take a look. It's quite interesting that even just listening to you evoke the physical stress of being scared, like I can feel myself responding and we were talking about that yesterday. It was just the sort of animal response to constant news about stress constantly being invited to witness distress and in some ways you know wanting to know what's there wanting to respond compassionately on the other hand just having this physical response that you sort of can't help this is part of it no I just wanted to say that what I then did with that so I did then decide in a moment that I did feel fear this morning I decided not to read the latest news I decided just well because we have a garden we're very lucky to just do some walking meditation in the garden so I think uh, we did a bit of gardening as well just getting into your senses getting some earth under your fingers feeling the sunshine uh, seeing this little robin coming and approaching and then I did about 20 minutes of walking practice which is just slowly walking up and down you could do it in a room or wherever you are and somehow it brings you attention into the body and you're feeling the muscles you start to kind of be more aware of the impressions of colors and sounds and you're getting into your senses out of that emotion and giving that emotion some chance to to calm down as it were so i'd really recommend that if you can do that if you feel fear getting back into the senses and connecting connecting to the senses in that way i've been in your beautiful garden and as soon as you say it i can see the the green gauges and the plums and the pears that come later in the season. I know not everybody, of course, is going to have access to that kind of thing, but that suggestion to try and contact your senses 
seems like a very wise perspective. How about you, Dr. Shooter? Well, we're certainly in a time of huge amounts of information. You know, I'm on a big family WhatsApp group and I'm just getting endless messages and theories and memes and everything from my family. And then there's Twitter and Facebook. And my news source in Ireland is usually the Irish Times or in the UK, it's the Guardian or the New York Times or whatever. And uh, there's just so much there. And I mean, partially, I've just been really busy trying to get the Dublin Buddhist Centre online. So I've had less time for being on social media. But I found that going on Twitter is just a... Oh, you know what I mean? I, I've just cut down tremendously on how much I've got on Twitter. I mean, much of my content on Twitter is kind of political, Brexit, elections, that kind of stuff. So I've just been going on that a lot less. And, and instead, I've been going on Facebook and the Buddhist Centre a lot more for kind of more personal connections, actually, which seems to be more important. And I've also started valuing proper news sources rather than just speculative opinion. So, you know, bona fide journalists online and things like that. But uh, yeah, I just, I just find myself needing to be a lot more careful about what I'm taking in because, you know, I, I didn't realise how much this, things were affecting me until I was out in the park the other day going for a very careful, isolated walk. And just noticing how on edge I was after a few days of it already. So I think these things can creep up on us, just how much they affect us. So in a way, a good thing I've noticed about all this that's been going on is that the usual things I go for refuge to, like Twitter and so on, actually, they're just not good for me. It's really clear that it's not good for me in a way that it wouldn't necessarily be so clear a month ago. That's interesting. This morning I looked at Twitter and I was looking at it and trying to work out why it all seems so low-key and calm. And then I realised I was looking at the wrong Twitter account. I have too many Twitter accounts. And the one I was looking at was particularly associated with literature and poetry and stuff. So, of course, all the news I was reading was just about new books and poetry. And it was kind of delightful. And then I realised I was looking at the wrong account and I switched to the other one. And it was definitely like, oh, the fire hose of stuff. And I sort of partly realised that I just don't use those tools properly like I don't make lists I don't edit within them I'm not selective enough and often I guess I don't really need to be particularly although living in the US there is usually a crisis of some kind going on at the moment I don't know how feasible it is that I'm just going to detach from all those sources because I do value them but I realize that I'm going to have to up my own game if I want to keep using them because it was actually delightful just to read about poetry for half an hour before I clocked that there was other stuff going on in the world the other thing I'm noticing is that, you know, I'm working from home, so I'm just spending so much time online already that uh, the last thing I want to do really a lot of the time is spend more time on social media or uh, read a newspaper more than I need to. So really what I've been really appreciating is a bit like what Yashu Bodhi was saying earlier, going out into the garden, watching how the buds are starting to come on the trees. The weather's picked up in the last week or two here, so it's just beautiful being outside again, and I feel like a newfound appreciation for it. Perhaps also because, you know, you can't go out very much as well, or at least you're not, you're not encouraged to go out too much you know we're not quite on full lockdown or anything here but certainly you have to be quite careful when you go out so it's at times like this that you really appreciate what is truly beautiful yeah we've been going out for a sort of lunchtime walk careful isolatedy lunchtime walk and we live quite near the sea on an estuary so we've been walking near the water and it's quite interesting we've got a bit of a practice i'll be going out with my wife laura and we're just walking along and we're going out of our way to try and be friendly to people as they pass because we've noticed as sadai say he's been saying in some of her previous podcast episodes the need to stay distant from people seems to have translated quickly into avoidance so lots of people who just won't make eye contact and yet when we make the effort to say hello most people look delighted you know it's like they're starved of contact and you can see how apprehensive they are. Some people still don't respond, which is quite interesting. And there's a state of fear, clearly, that's good on there. 
I've been trying to think of it in terms of physical spacing rather than social distancing, because I think the term social distancing, I mean, maybe you've talked about this on one of the previous podcasts, but it's really unhelpful, isn't it, to, to think of it in that way. So yeah, physical spacing not social distancing. We're just talking about social distancing, but before that, Vajrashura was talking about being online so much and also still in line with the theme of taking information. I think before this crisis started, I think we're already in a bit of another crisis in terms of people's attention and how much time we spend on, well, social media, messages. With a brain that hasn't changed so much, you know, in the last thousands of years, still the same human brain, still the same human ability to process information. So with that, I felt before the crisis started, it comes at the cost of some sort of embodiment, some more awareness of body being rooted in the body, being rooted in the earth, and also understanding yourself as a being that is affiliated to the earth. I do think that one of the risks we're taking, that if we were already a bit disembodied, getting even more disembodied in this time of our existence, as it were, as human beings, Maybe again, moving into advice, but if you can do a bit of physical exercise or just all kinds of practices that make you aware that you have a body and that you are an embodied creature and that body needs your attention and that body needs to be cherished and fed. And uh, yes, maybe a bit like a child, you just need to look after it really well. So that is one of my fears for this particular time under the influence of engaging with streams of even more information that we were already trying to engage with. This morning, we launched a new page on the Dharma Toolkit site for classes that are now springing up here, there and everywhere around Triratna, different teachers, different Buddhist centres. And I was really pleased to see in the section on individuals that there are some people starting to offer yoga classes online. If we want to stay in touch with our bodies, we're going to have to get more flexible about how we use online instead of being used by it, as it were. So we don't need to be in front of the screen looking at it. You know, we can check it every so often to check a pose, but actually most of our attention is in the room their body on the ground that kind of stuff and i'm really hoping that a lot more of that springs up in a way you know not so much like exercise videos although there is a a whole world of that that people do use very effectively but something that's more relational whereas the teacher you know from the class is going to appear and lead you through a practice yeah, I, I really agree with that, Chandradasa. I mean, we've moved all of our stuff online and, you know, we've been using Zoom. And one of the lovely things about Zoom is when you come on, we had an evening last week where there's about 19 of us and we all knew each other pretty well. And quite a few people were just really surprised by just how nice it was to see people online, not just be watching a talk online, but actually see each other as well and see each other's faces. And I think with these kinds of things, we harden so easily to isolation without realizing just how much we need other people. So we really need to keep that muscle alive. And uh, it's been one of the most satisfying things about this is just seeing just how much people appreciate that connection when it comes alive again after you know a week or so of being separated. So apart from nature, and I guess maybe even apart from meditation, how are you staying in touch with yourself, whether it's physically in touch with yourself or just some portion of your being that isn't given over to always being on, always being connected in a certain way? I don't know whether it's like physical media, like books or some sort of space that you take just to do nothing. Well, they're just sitting, just sitting in the garden. 
that's lovely now. I mean, it's just only been these past few days here in London that you can actually sit outside and not have your coat on and not be chilly. So that's actually just the delights of spring and looking at the blossoms. And as we were talking, well, Vajra Shura was talking about beauty and I thought, oh, that would also be interesting to talk a bit more about. Um, and just in terms of like our experience, it's always such a mixture of different elements. There's always a mixture of sensations thoughts emotions flowing through and at times like this especially if our minds are a bit stressed we tend to pay attention to the nasty bits and the bits that we don't like and the frightening bits and as a practice I feel for me at least beauty is incredibly important and you can take it up as a practice I think it's going to be incredibly useful if you can to just train yourself in looking at the beautiful aspects of a situation Yes, you might feel horrible, but still there's beautiful light falling through the windows. There's a beautiful blue sky. The trees have a sense of beauty. It's not like you're denying what's happening. You're still accepting what's happening and connecting to your deeper emotions. It might be whatever it is. But the truth of all our experience is that there's so many different aspects to it. And there is a choice as to what you're paying attention to. And you can train yourself in paying attention to the beautiful aspects of your experience. It's a practice, actually, that if you start doing it today, it'll pay you back tomorrow. It's very, very easy to take up. And you can even, if that works for you, make a list, like just start making a list. 10 things that I found beautiful today and just write them down. 10 things I found beautiful today. And then you notice the next day that actually, because you're in your mind, you're already starting to create that list. So you have strengthened that capacity to, to notice beautiful things. And yeah, it's worth trying out. Now, can I ask everybody, does that practice or your awareness of the efficacy of that practice, does that connect to some of the work you do normally these days, which is bringing mindfulness approaches into art galleries and helping people connect with beauty? Yes, well, it definitely is connected to that. I think that's part of the work we're doing in art galleries is bringing reflective practices and mindfulness to museums. But obviously, there's not much happening at the moment, that's all sort of dropped away. But uh, also I was thinking about what I'm also doing, actually, is I'm teaching mindfulness courses to hospital staff here in London. So I've just finished a course earlier this week where so one of my courses is called Mindfulness for Emotional Resilience. And uh, so practices like the one I described, I sometimes put on the menu for a course like that. I felt quite moved to support hospital staff in the past so that's how I ended up doing some work there and I now even obviously feel much more moved I've been recording some podcasts 10 minute meditations for staff in these times for the hospital but I don't really know whether people will have time to take those 10 minutes unfortunately but having said that, I do want to tell you this story that I found. I think it is in one of Vidya Mala's mindfulness books. I think it's the Mindfulness for Health books. She's telling this story about somebody who is using a blunt axe to cut down some trees. Well, I don't like the image of cutting down trees, but just let's stick with what it actually means. So he's trying to cut down these trees with a blunt axe. And obviously that's not working very well. So somebody suggests well, why don't you sharpen your axe? But they say, oh, I don't have time to sharpen my axe. So consequently, 
you're spending much, much, much more time to do the same job. If you just taken five minutes to sharpen your axe by doing some meditation, you'll be much more effective for the rest of the day. So I really hope that somebody is going to remember to do a bit of mindfulness now and again, because I think that will really help matters. Yeah, I guess uh, guarding the gates of the senses, it's all about where you put your attention really, isn't it? And putting your attention on things that are helpful to your situation and to the world situation rather than unhelpful. I was really struck last week, we were doing a communal online meditation session together and the meditation was a kind of a, well, what we call the Karana Bhavana. It's a variation of a loving kindness practice that we do. And you start off with, you know, loving kindness and compassion for yourself, a suffering person, a friend, and so on, various people. And at the end, you expand to include more and more people. And I just realized I had quite an insight in that part of the meditation where I realized, oh, I'm letting my sphere of concern get very narrow here to the people immediately around me. And I wonder if that's one of the things we need to watch out for when we're in isolation, that our our sphere of concern gets very narrowed down to just those people immediately around us, which is very good because I really care for and love the people immediately around me. But it can't be exclusive. And, And part of my practice and part of guarding the gates of the senses in a way is just making sure I focus out broader, more widely to the world and not just the way the focus is on the difficulties but on the actual people in those situations and not just forget about them and focus down on myself and what I need to do to keep myself safe you know Another thing I was thinking of as well is that, you know, it feels like everything's very weighty at the moment. It reminds me of a time when my dad was passing away years ago. It it kind of feels like the veil is thin somewhat between ourselves and reality at the moment. Things are quite serious in a kind of a way, you know, and they're probably going to get more serious, unfortunately. So the thing about times like this is that they're challenging, but at the same time, there's great opportunities as well in them. So, you know, for me at the moment, I've never been so motivated to meditate because, you know, I have to meditate or else it'll all get on top of me. I have to be kind to other people because in a way, if only selfishly, I really need other people to be kind to me as well at times like this. And what I'm struck by is a story from the Buddha's life, or at least the Buddha before he gained enlightenment, where he saw what are called the four sights in Buddhism. And the first three of these sights were what helped him to go on this spiritual quest to gain enlightenment. So it's said that he saw a sick person, an old person, a dead person on consecutive occasions in the market town in India. And uh, he realized that this is an inevitable part of life that there must be some kind of solution to these things being presented to us and uh, what he then saw was the fourth site which is the site of the the renunciant the spiritual practitioner the monk in this case or what we would call a monk wandering walking mindfully through the marketplace and the other thing for me in terms of guarding the gates of the senses is not just to get focused on the first three sites but just to keep the perspective of the fourth site as well of, of spiritual practice of a time of great opportunity to make progress and so on in the midst of all this but not just in the midst of it but almost because of all this and the heightened seriousness given to it by that indeed that sort of sense of wise attention so it's not just guarding against the kind of hordes of 24-hour newscasters at the gates you know there's something you actually have to apply your attention to in the opposite direction that helps i was very struck by what you said yashbudi about beauty as a practice rather than something that you're kind of somehow accidentally or passively in relationship to Last week I was watching a documentary, Mary Beard, the art historian, had made a two-part documentary about the history of the nude in Western art. And I had this experience watching it of thinking, gosh, it's ages since I watched like a really good documentary because I don't have time. I don't tend to make the time. And I felt so immersed. And of course, you're looking at fine art and you're listening to somebody very intelligent talking. And I saw the next day that somebody had made a five and a half hour film of walking around the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. And at the time, I was kind of thinking, who would sit down and watch five and a half hours? 
And then I thought, well, actually, no, I, I would sit down and watch five and a half hours, maybe not in one go, but like the idea of turning your attention to things that are more likely to benefit you in a particular way without that being ideological in some sort of fashion. You know, you're not ruling out the rest of culture, but it's like just practically what helps. And now I feel quite attracted to making the time to sit down and be immersed, maybe for an hour, five days in a row, in looking at the Hermitage, which I'd love to visit. I've always wanted to go to the Hermitage. Maybe I'll never get to go to St. Petersburg. But yeah, just that opportunity. And that, in a way, is one of the amazing things about internet and technology is that you can do that. You you can just sit and look at a large screen and become immersed in an aspect of human culture that is just much bigger than the time that we're in. Yeah, just I think one of the big benefits of approaching looking in that way, just really taking a long time to look at anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be a work of art, but you could also spend quite a lot of time just looking at your pen or looking at the glass and just looking at the outline and the colours and the shape and the differences in shades. And you could just really take that very slowly. And in terms of, yes, how it works is that because you're engaging the senses, you're calming very strong emotions down like the the stress and the anxiety because the stress and anxiety they just really have the tendency to spark off lots of thoughts and in buddhism uh, you have this word called papancha which particularly with difficult emotions like stress and anxiety and fear there's this whole flood of thoughts that can lead to narratives that can lead to more emotions so somehow by turning your attention to looking very slowly there's a term for it in the work that I'm doing it's called slow looking but by doing that yes you're allowing less opportunity for that process of rumination because the rumination is often the very habitual old circular thoughts that have been going on and on and on for for decades however old you are and yes and they're often don't really lead to you feeling happier and more open etc they usually sort of go into some sort of pits a friend of mine said that you just kind of go down the plug hole so yeah you can prevent going down the plug hole by using the senses in that way as a wise attention yes wise attention by turning your attention to an object hopefully of beauty because beauty has that capacity to pacify and to calm down and it's also very interesting if you look at buddhist psychology you see that more positive mind states tend to come up together like negative mind states do as well so they come up like a bouquet of flowers so first you got the beauty and then you get the peace and then you get the feeling a bit more at ease and then you get the feeling a bit open so in that sense it's like a whole bouquet of positive emotion that will come into being i like that connection between appreciative awareness and wise attention what about you Vajrashur? have you noticed that in your own kind of experience of this that there's a rising together of different positive emotions that help each other I've certainly been more appreciative of beauty as I've seen it. I mean, it's so hard to separate out, but I, I've just been really blissed out walking around our garden here. We've we've lucky enough to have a big enough garden at the back and just really enjoying the sun on my skin and the flowers starting to come out again. And it certainly is part of Buddhist wisdom, you know, in Buddhist texts, an appreciation of what's truly beautiful. And there's a story of the Buddha when some people are accusing him of saying Buddhism teaches us not to find beauty in things. And he said, no, Buddhism teaches us to appreciate what is truly beautiful. And I think at times like this, we can appreciate what is truly beautiful, our garden, our connections with people. For me, maybe that's why a lot of my unhealthy social media activity has fallen away, because it's actually not that useful or beautiful, actually. And times of crisis like this show us what's truly important. So is there anything that either of you have been moved by 
over the last week that has helped you kind of keep in touch with the wider perspective of beauty and appreciation that's felt like a practical application of wise attention you know whether it's a piece of media or something that's taken you out of the dangers of too much information that provokes anxiety I can't remember where I read it. I read a list of eight things that people are recommending people do every day for their well-being. But I was really struck by, it said somewhere on top of this, looking after something or somebody. And um, it's just a very simple thing, but it just occurred to me that I've got lentils and I used to do the sprouting at home. And then, you know, often I don't have time to do sprouting because I'm going away. I don't have the sort of not a lot of regularity in terms of my schedule every day. So I'm doing yeah, lentil sprouts. I've made my own sauerkraut and I'm now also starting to sprout mustard. It's just something about looking after that. And every day you see these tiny changes and it feels like a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment because I'm looking after something and something is actually happening and life is growing. And it just, to me, it's a lovely thing. It's a lovely thing that I've started to engage with this week. So I think because I've been online so much this week, you know, I've been working with the Dublin Buddhist Centre, getting our stuff online. Well, there's been two things. One of them has been asking other members of our order around Ireland to share their thoughts about things. You know, so we've been having a talk for the day each day online where it's a short video, a few minutes, and people are just sharing their reflections. And it's really good to stay in connection with those people. Almost all of them are really good friends of mine who my interpersonal contact, in-person contact with has dropped to zero. But it's really nice just to hear from them again. So that's one thing that I've been really enjoying this week. And then the other thing is, um, again, because I've been online so much, I think I've just really enjoyed the spaces of not being online, actually, if it's okay to say that on the podcast. <laughs> um, and just, uh, you know, taking my lunch out in the back garden and just enjoying bread and enjoying the sun and, and just sitting there really simply, you know, not having my phone around and just giving myself some time off, actually. Not always been so driven to be consuming content, which I can be most of the time. And I've just been really enjoying not having to do that, being free of those usual tendencies a bit more. Thank you very much, both of you. I look forward to some time outside myself today. I hope you both get some more time in the garden as the weekend comes in. It's been very good to have time with you today to just explore this whole area of how we keep ourselves right, as it were, in a very difficult time. I'm sure people out there will find helpful some of the suggestions you've made. So I'd like to thank both my guests, Vajra Shura. Thanks very much. Lovely to be here. Thanks, Chandradasa. And thanks too to you, Yash Bodhi. Yeah, thank you very much. I just wanted to say to everyone that it's such a difficult time we're going through. And I just wish you all that's well, all that's good in these times to come. Yes, indeed. It's quite a part of this podcast that we hold each other in awareness. So please do know that people are thinking about you, wherever you are. If you want to join us for meditation, you can join us morning, afternoon or evening, depending on where you live. If you go to thebuddhacentre.com slash toolkit, each weekday we'll be doing two meditations. One of the most amazing things about it is just 100, 150 people turning up and sitting together in silence. It's very beautiful. It's a very beautiful experience. And just the sort of boost it gives in a day to know that that's there and that's a valid thing to do with your time and you can find all sorts of resources there including as i said earlier our new page just tracking what's going on around the Chiratna buddhist community in particular buddhist centers offering all sorts of great things online including the dublin center and the west london center and a growing list of individuals too who are just been very generous with their time and energy and trying to help all of us through this 
So we'll be back again tomorrow with a further episode before we take a break for the weekend. It'll be a one-on-one interview, slightly different format from the conversations we've had all week. In the meantime, please do join the community toolkit at buddhistcentre.com slash toolkit and you can share what keeps you engaged in a relationship with beauty, what represents wise attention for you. You can share that with others, inspire others, help them stay connected. Be well, keep yourself safe, wash your hands, Keep your distance, smile at people, and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now.